0: My guest today is Dr. Naomi Wolf, best-selling author, Rhodes Scholar, and CEO of DailyClout.io. We discuss the recent attacks against her from mainstream figures and publications, the strange messages that came from this year's World Economic Forum, and the arrival of Disease X, what it means, and the possible motivations behind it. Dr. Wolf is somebody who has sacrificed everything to tell the truth, and her words pack a serious punch. Stay tuned. Dr. Naomi Wolf, welcome back. It's nice to talk to you again. It's nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. uh, Well, you know, I've been looking forward to this conversation again since the last time we spoke. Um, Last time, we talked a lot about the Pfizer documents, and in the end, we talked about a book that was written about you, um, which is, you know, I was talking to your husband, Brian, about it, and it's super creepy. Um, But we can let's we can start there. you know, you've you've been the subject of a lot of attacks coming at you from a lot of angles, and um, I guess let's start with the book Doppelganger because it's a very strange book. Uh, it was it's written kind of as an indirect smear against you. Uh, it was written by Canadian author Naomi Klein. Uh, have you read the book, and and what was your reaction to it?
1: No, I haven't read the book, and I don't plan to because um, my dad. Was a a professional writer. He wasn't a famous writer or a commercially successful writer, but he was a true writer, and he basically taught me that any um, engagement of my ego in you know how people criticize me or or praise me is a is wasted energy that should be going to my work. Um, and uh, you know from what I've seen of the bits that have uh, against my will floated into my social media feed. She's you know thoroughly detached from reality, saying things that happened that never happened, attributing statements to me I never made. I never met her to my knowledge. Um, and then I found out that uh, her husband is a spokesmodel for a major pharma interest in Canada and that her father-in-law um, is on a board that received a $25 million vaccine grant. It's on a nonprofit devoted to vaccines. So um, there we have it. Uh, but yeah, so I just need to stay focused on my work.
0: Of course. Yeah. And that's actually where I was going with this because it seems like there was some sort of underlying motive uh, to the book. W- would you be able to tell us a little more in detail as to what her husband does for Big Pharma?
1: Sure. And I think it would be interesting for you to reach out to her and see if, you know, she'd like to tell you what the motive was for her book. Um, It'd be very interesting to see if she responds to you. I mean, one of the frustrating things right now between the left, where I come from, you know, where I've lived all my life and the freedom movement, which is nonpartisan, is that the left won't talk to the freedom movement. And, you know, often the freedom movement doesn't even try to talk to the left. So, There are a lot of important conversations that are not being had, a lot of, um, it's not good for the country that there are two completely different information streams and there's no real civil debate or uh, even mutual challenging of fact, you know, in the same place. And social media lets us kind of attack each other in a very um, tranched way where we're not ever really face-to-face saying, is that true? What's your evidence? So I just wrote a Substack about that um, called the "Vitamin Wars," actually, where I'm bemoaning the fact that, you know, uh, um, Naomi Klein and I come from the same training. In uh, she's younger than I am, um, but we come from the same generation of how journalists are supposed to behave and how nonfiction writers are supposed to behave. And none of this is how how real nonfiction writers or journalists are supposed to behave. You're not supposed to make things up from whole cloth. You're not supposed to not disclose conflicts of interest. I mean, her husband and her father-in-law both having ties to the pharma industry is a textbook conflict of interest that should be disclosed in the introduction to the book or the foreword, pardon me, or the bio for that matter. Um, You know, we're not supposed to uh, not have a clear line between advertising and editorial. We're not supposed to... um, you know, make defamatory claims. Uh, We're not supposed to hallucinate and put it in print. We're not supposed to threaten people. Um, And one of the very disturbing things, you and I may have spoken about this, that I um, struggle with is that, um, how can I put this? what i what i saw in the new york times um which you know did come into my news feed was an excerpt from her book in which there's a meditation on murdering the doppelganger meaning the double and i'm identified as her doppelganger it's a very like um if a man had written it about a woman that he didn't know a male writer had like fantasized about the you know murder in detail of this woman he's never met a real other human being Um, And and it called her his double and said that um, they had a relationship that they didn't have. Everyone would recognize that as a form of a mental illness called erotomania, which is quite dangerous because it leads to stalking and um, physical attacks, you know, at times. And uh, so she, the New York Times let her meditate on the murder of the doppelganger. And then they illustrated the piece with an image that I really can't get out of my head, which shows a a wolf, um, being strangled, bleeding at the mouth.
0: Oh my God. You
1: know, the, the, the strangle, like, it's almost like a dominatrix thing. Um, the leash is being held by this kind of androgynous figure, um, which is, you know, implied to be the author of the piece. And, uh, that I read that as a threat, you know, and, and I know that, um, I used to be married to the uh, editor of the op-ed page of the New York Times. And I know that a lot of care and thought goes into commissioning that artwork. You know, it's not it's not AI that just drops it in with no editorial sign off. So someone commissioned, let's get a wolf bleeding at the mouth or let's get an animal that looks like a wolf bleeding at the mouth, being strangled. Um, anyway, I'm tired of all of this nonsense, honestly. Um, and that's my response to that question
0: yeah that's grotesque I was not aware of that and that's Mm. I mean that's basically a death threat I mean let's be honest here right like it it, it really is and uh you know I'm really sorry that you've had to go through all this and we won't we won't stay on this topic for too long you know I I, I
1: don't care you can ask me anything right I mean if the whole point is freedom of speech we should talk about whatever you want to talk about um but uh, i guess it's very ironic because with the first amendment being the law of the land they've tried and tried and tried to censor us the last you know the last way to censor people is reputational attack and implied visual threats you know i mean like they're really like scraping the bottom of the barrel of how to shut people up
0: yeah and and you know so i'm of the left as well um i read Mm. naomi klein's shock doctrine you know, way back in two thousand eight, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's held up by the left as kind of a bible on foreign policy, right? And the the dirty secrets of American hegemony. Uh, and and I've I I abandoned the left because I saw what the left was becoming. I saw that the left was moving too far to the left. It was becoming too extreme. And with that, journalism became more opinion based than anything. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find an article in really any of the mainstream uh newspapers or or publications that isn't just purely opinion i mean it's like the the ethical code of journalism has been thrown out of the window you know and you know you know with yourself i i think you find yourself in this strange space right because you're one of the key figures in second wave feminism i i in my mind right Long okay sure sure right okay uh, but you know i mean you're by all accounts a liberal i mean if somebody were to draw does a picture
1: mean anymore i mean i think of myself as a classical liberal but what you know what does that even mean
0: anymore yeah. that's right and it, and it's like these titles don't mean anything anymore and it, and and, it, and it's like all of the real true liberals have kind of found themselves in the space where we are you know i mean when i when i when i look at uh uh when I look at people like yourself or, or Dr. Robert Malone or Dr. Peter McCulloch and so on and so forth, I always try to weigh what you're saying versus what you have to lose. Right. Because you know, for somebody like myself, prior to now I was making $80,000 a year at some corporation nobody gives a shit about. And so I don't really have much to lose doing this. Right. And so I don't really expect people to take my word for it. And that's why I talk to people like yourself. Um, but with you, I mean, you had a lot to lose. Can we talk about what you've lost in this journey? Because, I mean, you've railed against everything that the modern left—and I would call them the neo-Marxist left—stands mm-hmm. for. And mm-hmm. so, what impact has that had on you personally? Uh,
1: um, I mean, sure, I'll talk about it. But again, I don't think—I don't think that's what's most important, right? Like, as long as I'm alive. And, and, you know, the people I love are safe. Losing everything isn't really important. I mean, losing everything, um, you know, material or professional is not really important. And also, I mean, luckily, I'm very lucky in that I, I had a really good historical education and I read the biographies of many, many, many people who changed history. Not one of them had a good, had a good time, (laughs) you know, like they never get fame and riches in their lifetime. You know, it's always taken away from them. They always are vilified and called horrible names. And I mean, like one of the people I admire most, Walt Whitman, who really was quite a visionary and kind of foresaw the modern world, the best of the modern world and kind of um, visualized a time of um, emotional freedom for men and women, including uh, what what we people we would now call gay, right? Um he was an absolute visionary and he he died in poverty. You know, he was kicked out of his job in Washington in the government, uh, for you know, writing salacious verses. He's now considered one of the greatest American poets. Mm-hmm. Um he was, you know, censored, Andrew Comstock went after him. Uh, because there was a bad law called the Comstock laws in 1873 that um, prevented people from sending obscene material, including information about contraceptions, contraception through the mail and you know he he had to his friends had to beg for money for him to treat his you know very serious illnesses uh it, you know one thing after another uh his his publisher you know sent back the plates of his book uh you know, in the 1880s when um, when he was afraid of having the edition confiscated and and Whitman had to, luckily he knew how to publish his own book because he'd been a printer in one of his early jobs. He self-published his own book. The point is he died in poverty and and his name lives on. Um, John Addington Simmons, who's the hero of the book that, you know, prepared the way for my reputational attacks in 2019 when it was canceled because of two, you know, errors of interpretation which is pretty normal in a historical book about arcane um hard to interpret laws um that book was about a guy who wrote the first gay rights manifesto and never lived to see that all the laws would change you know in the way that he advocated and he died at 52 of tuberculosis uh and he could never go back to Britain because he was in exile. Because in Britain, these acts were illegal. They were legal in Italy and in Switzerland, where he ended up living. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. You know, Emily Dickinson couldn't get published in her lifetime. Um, I mean, Martin Luther King, you know, the FBI was after him, he got assassinated. I mean, you know, look what's happened to RFK Jr. Like, literally everyone who's effective. Um, look at jesus you know like i yeah. i mean i'm not comparing myself to martin luther king or jesus i'm just saying the really effective advocates for humanity um you know are lucky to survive yeah. and so i kind of feel blessed mm-hmm. that um i get to advocate for humanity and that you know we've got enough to eat and um i'm not dead yet and uh, also super blessed that, the, and this is, you know, like one reason I really do, do believe in divine providence, when I was getting death threats for standing up for, you know, the civilians who were being um, bombed on both sides of the uh, southern border of Israel and um, Gaza and the northern border of Gaza in 2014, uh, I hired Brian O'Shea, who literally has every single skill set to deter my abusers, um, you know, highly trained by the United States government. <laughs> so uh, I do feel very fortunate. That's a full-time job. Like he scans threats. He He's, his, specialism, his specialty is counter-stalking. So, you know, when I get a threat or some crazy person, I send it to Brian and I'm like, how serious is this? And he can assess, you know, ignore it, or this is serious or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, but I, you know, he, he physically keeps me safe. Um, in a way that uh, you know, I, I'm just so lucky because most people don't get highly trained bodyguards, <laughs> to, you know, to, to to be with them all the time um, if they're doing this kind of work. So, I mean, that's a long answer, but I guess sure. I, so, what did I lose? I lost. I was deplatformed in June of 2021 for correctly warning that women were having menstrual uh, dysregulation, to say the least, upon receiving mRNA injections. Not only was I too platformed, and it turned out that that was at the behest of the White House, working with the CDC and the Bureau of the Census, which is scary because they have all my addresses. Um I, I was simultaneously weirdly um smeared around the world. My Wikipedia page changed uh like overnight. Um, and all the sites that for which I'd been like a columnist for decades, or a featured commentator like The Guardian, the New York Times, um all uh reported on me as if i was a crazy conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. and and stopped like don't even didn't even respond to my communications and these are these are editors that have hired me for decades right to write columns to be a columnist to give quotes to appear on their networks oh, like overnight i'm a non person professionally and and worse like an, a an anti person, right? Vanity Fair, someone I knew at Vanity Fair was sent to write a hit piece calling me an anti vaxxer. And I'm like, I'm not an anti vaxxer. If you write that, I'll have to sue you. You know, like over and over and over and over. I mean, I kind of am now an anti vaxxer. <laughs> found out a lot more about it, but that's a, se- a secondary point. Um, the point is, it wasn't true at that time. You know, all the checks on journalism in the legacy media. Failed because all these people and I—I I trace this in the bodies of others. My um my book from one book ago, all these news outlets took the money uh, offered by the Cares Act and by um the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to overcome vaccine hesitancy, meaning to target people like me. Um, for all I know, Naomi Klein's publishers took the money. I really don't know. Like that money went everywhere, sloshed around to every you know cultural institution. Uh, what else did I lose? Well, I lost my, my community um, in New York and, you know, DC, which was a very cozy community of global elites. Um, I lost so many friends. Uh, I mean, even now, one of my best friends hasn't wanted to talk to me in person because they assume we don't share any values anymore because I talk to people like Steve Bannon and Tucker Carlson as if like you get cooties by talking to people <laughs> who don't agree with you about everything. Um, family, you know, we've been we haven't been to a Thanksgiving in, you know, in three years. <laughs> I mean family members, um, you know, would family members who are funded by the NIH, because I have a lot of scientists and physicians in my family would call me to literally read me talking points from NIH scripts um, you know, God knows how that happened. I mean, it's, it's a crazy, uh, Kafkaesque reality. Um, and I could, I, you know, I could live with that. I I can live with that because I know that I'm on the right side of history, but it's getting, you know, you happen to be talking to me on a pretty exhausting day because there's yet another set of lunatics on the loose on the other side <laughs> who are you know throwing a whole new set of falsehoods in my direction so there
0: we are wow yeah and you know it's uh it it's interesting right because you know you read these hit pieces against you and it's like what did naomi wolf just wake up one morning and become a paranoid schizophrenic like it, it these are this is a person that you that you know i mean by all accounts you were a a a highly sought after liberal mind for a very long time. And then, you know, you voice an opinion that's counter to theirs. And all of a sudden, you are persona non grata and in outcome, the smears. So I want to pivot away really quickly and just talk about the World Economic Forum a little bit, because uh, Javier Millet gave a rousing speech, the World Economic Forum, um, you know, uh, in support of freedom and free market capitalism. And Kevin Roberts on a panel, I'm not sure if you saw, but he's the heritage president. He lambasted the World Economic Forum on a panel. And, and, and I'm wondering in your perspective, why is this happening? Because this seems pretty suspicious to me that they're allowing these people not only into the conference, but to speak and also the recordings to, to reach the rest of the world. Hmm. Do, do, do you think there's some sort of motive behind that?
1: Well, I'm really glad that you raised that because, um, you know, having been a political consultant to, at the highest levels, to Vice President Gore and to President Clinton's re-election campaign, um, that's the exactly the question to ask because nothing is organic at those meetings. Nothing is released that hasn't been prepared, uh, you know, in advance. I and mean, that's why I keep saying about the disease X, it's not like they're going to Davos and they're deliberating for three days or however long it is and then they're coming to a conclusion about disease X or about central bank digital currency or any of the horrors on the agenda those decisions have long been made in rooms that are not open to the public um or even even open to delegates right and so absolutely if people gave resounding contrarian speeches the speeches were vetted the sound was kept on the um You know, the audio was released. All of it is theater. Um, It may be that those people believe that, but for sure, the World Economic Forum, I think, is trying to, is realizing it has um, over, what is it called when you, like, overshoot the mark, like,
0: overreached. Yeah.
1: And that everyone hates it. Um, And so they're kind of releasing the tension of the hatred by seeming to tolerate critics in their ranks, seeming to be chastised, um, you know, seeming to be humbled. I mean, the theme is restoring trust, right? As I said on Bannon's show, only true sociopaths think they can try to kill me or disable, or sterilize most of humanity and then have a conference on restoring trust. Um, But I would say that those speeches are... Like, it could be both, right? People really need to understand that. Like, the people who gave the speeches can really believe what they're saying and a strategic decision was made on the part of the WF to um, let that loose and and let it play out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I said uh, I said this about the Canadian NDP leader, which is our socialist party, but I think it also applies to the World Economic Forum. They're like that, that crazy ex that sets your car on fire because you caught them cheating, and then set your car on fire again because he won't take them back. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're really you know, and, and it's weird because, like, you know, I, my opinion on the World Economic Forum has changed over the last year. I don't think that they are what, what many people make them out to be. I, I think they're kind of like this low level, you know, bottom tier globalist. Group, you know, I I think the people that are behind them are the people that we really need to be concerned about, and we're not really seeing who the real hands on the levers of power are, and I don't know if that'll ever be revealed, but there has been a lot of talk about this disease X, this mm-hmm. un, virus of unknown origin. That's, and I think it's it's interesting that. We haven't had a pandemic worthy of a lockdown or a mass vaccine rollout in over a hundred years. And now all of a sudden we should be bracing ourselves for one pandemic after another. Um, yeah. In in your view, what is the purpose of disease X?
1: Well, I also just wanna gently push back on the way you um, characterized past waves of disease. I don't know how old the word pandemic is. I had never heard it before 2020. Um, and those used to be called epidemics. I mean, as I gather from an earlier definition, I'm sure the definitions have changed, a pandemic is widespread death and disease over a wide geographical area. Mm -hmm. There's no real evidence. Like the, the data for COVID is so questionable that we really don't know how widespread that. Those deaths were because so many other things were attributed to, uh, to COVID. That's right. You know, and and chalked up as COVID deaths. Um. So so if you're talking about the 2000, I'm sorry, the 1918 um Spanish flu epidemic, mm-hmm. it was an epidemic, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know that there was a call for mass vaccination because I don't know that you can treat respiratory infections through vast vaccination or if you could at that time, I don't recall reading history before 2020 that there was, well, there certainly were not lockdowns. Um, and actually the, I remember a lot of propaganda appearing around 2020 that seemed to be historical saying there were lockdowns, it's not true. Um, to my knowledge, very sick people have always been quarantined in the West. That's very, very different from locking down sick and healthy populations the way they did in the Warsaw ghetto or, you know, to us in 2020 and 2021. Um, so disease X, I mean, it seems pretty clear that um, there's a preparation psychologically for us to be told that disease X is among us, you know, notably it's going to come from China again, of course, and that we'll have no way as the last time to really independently verify it if what we're being told in the, super freaky emergency is real. Um, People will react in an abundance of caution and stay indoors or not go vote or not go to their town hall meetings or not go pray or whatever god awful thing will be the uh, cautionary tale about how you deal with disease X. And um, as a result of disease X, uh, the World Health Organization will usher in its treaty um, draining every one of sovereignty, which will then mean that, you know, mercenaries run by the WHO can show up at your door to take you away from your kids, take your kids away from you. Um, in New York State, where I live, our governor keeps trying to, you know, pass regulations to open quarantine camps, detention centers. And I've read the regulations and basically there will be no way out. There's no judicial review. There's no good behavior. There's no you don't even have to be sick. You have to be exposed to a bloodborne pathogen. So my guess is disease X will be a bloodborne pathogen, whatever that is, because they've got the regulations ready already, okay. and um, and that'll be that. So there are a lot of things we can do. Um, one of the things points I've been making about disease X is disease X is really fear, right? That's disease X. Like whatever else they claim the the virus or bacillus is that's you know fear is what the disease is that they want to promote and Dr. Michael Nels, um, the German neuroscientist um, has written a really important book called the indoctrinated brain that points out that fear uh, causes brain damage basically and inability to think in a nuanced way and um, makes us susceptible to propaganda and really changes our personalities. So it's very important. I kind of think it's important for people to pay no attention to disease X. And if they're forced to pay attention to it, to do the opposite of what the state tells them to do. Um, that's my you know, immediate take. Uh, and also that it's very important for people to get their news from independent outlets because all of the legacy media outlets will you know, present a disease X on the platter
0: yeah, I, I think we're at a very critical point because, you know, I I read a statistic the other day that over fifty percent of Americans believe that a lot of the excess deaths are coming from the adverse uh, side effects from the mRNA vaccines, mm-hmm. and I think Disease X might be a break point. I think we're, you know, you, we see it happening in Europe right now, and I don't think North America is far behind. I mean, we're we're literally seeing French style, French Revolution style yeah. uprisings begin. And
1: where do you see that in North America?
0: Oh, you mean yeah, in Europe. Yeah, no, we're not. It's it hasn't hit North America yet. I mean, it you could argue that it started in Canada with the Freedom Convoy and then kind of caught fire in Europe, but I think there's a boomerang effect that's going to happen and it's going to reach us again. And I think Disease X is a make or break scenario. It's it's one of those situations where either everybody falls for it again, we get locked in our homes. This is pure speculation, but I what I think is I think they overshot the landing or overreached as as yeah as we mentioned earlier with COVID nineteen. I think the true intention was to introduce a digital ID and essential bank digital currency to keep Whoa. us keep Whoa. us locked in our homes, right? And they they had to they had to kind of let up on the tension because well people were getting restless, and I think what they really truly do fear is a revolution, right? It's the 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 people going. Wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The people throwing them out, right? And I think with disease X, that's the goal. Now, the goal is going to be lock us all in our homes, make all turn all transactions into into online only purchases. Okay. And then through that, they can say, well, you need a digital identification. And because you're locked in your home, we have to issue a, a universal basic income, which will be distributed via central bank digital currency. So you will literally be a prisoner in your home, mm-hmm. and 100% reliant on the state for all of your basics, all of your essentials.
1: I mean, that sounds reasonable as a fear scenario. And, you know, China kind of experimented on that with soldering people in their homes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was, yeah. I I mean, it's, it's kind of weird the world that we find ourselves in now, right? I mean, I, I don't think any of us anticipated where we would be. I mean, I certainly didn't anticipate... Naomi Wolf on Steve Bannon, that was a, 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 a relationship that that occurred that I never in a million years ever expected to see, you know, and I think what the world has changed drastically. And yeah.
1: I, I do want to just jump in on on that, though. I mean, it has and I'm glad that someone of your generation is aware of how messed up and freaky things are, because the thing I really fear is not, you know, people my age and older, never seeing freedom again. What because we've, you know, we know the difference, right? My my real worry is that younger generations will be born into this reality and, and not remember a time before captivity, right? Um but I, I have to believe that the uh longing for freedom is inbuilt into the human psyche. Um also well anyway I tell myself that uh I do want to like gently again push back on this mm-hmm like how, how uh, surprising that, you know, someone like me from left talks to someone from the far right, like Steve Bannon. I I just want to kind of invoke past America and past Canada, because to me, something really bad has happened that we don't take for granted that people who don't agree with each other can have a productive conversation or even a, a, a contrarian, you know, argumentative conversation, right? Like, when did that happen? I mean, this what you said is almost, to, to my mind, a, a much more polite version of what my you know my old friends are saying. Like, how do we share the same values if you talk to those people? Yeah. Talking doesn't mean you know. As my friend who does mediation says, listening doesn't mean agreeing. You know, mm-hmm. like how else are we going to learn anything if we don't talk to people with who don't agree with us? You know, like yeah. how else do we know where our views are correct if we never. Uh, test them against the views of someone who totally disagrees with us. I I miss the, remember when people used to say it's a free country, you know, like I miss the America and the Canada, where everyone knew that people could have, should talk to people who didn't agree with them. So, I mean, I guess also, I just want to say for the record, even when I was deeply living and published and aligned with the left, I always enjoyed talking to conservatives and people, and libertarians and you know, not like I didn't enjoy talking to Nazis, but I wanted to talk to them because I mm-hmm. wanted to understand how they how they came to believe what they mm-hmm. came to believe. And you know, people say people think I'm I'm smart. Well, one reason I'm kind of smart at the advanced age I've reached is that I've 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 never held back from talking to people who that that I think are completely off base or who think I'm completely off base. So anyway, I just wanted to say that.
0: No, of course, and you raise a really good point. Um, because my generation, you're absolutely correct. See, I'm a I'm a child of the '90s. Uh, September 11th, 2001, was the day my entire life changed, right. and I became politically active from that day forward. I'd always had an interest in oh, history. How old were you then? You
1: must. Have I been- was.
0: I was seventeen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm fo- I'm 41 now, so I would have been 18. I know I appear to be a little you bit younger. The backwards hat and the sweater. Yeah, I'm kind having of-
1: what you're having.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, and- but no, I I completely agree with you because, uh you know, after September 11th, 2001, it was like Bush, Cheney, neoconservatives are the ultimate evil. And so yeah. people like myself who found themselves on the left, which I think most young people in my generation drifted to the left, right? Sure. We were trained to believe that the right is the enemy, right? And most of us never broke out of that. And for myself, my perspective didn't really change until I was in my mid to late 20s when I started reading like people like Thomas Sowell and getting an idea for what conservatism really is and realizing that there are great ideas on both sides of the political spectrum right and but but you're absolutely right because we're locked into this kind of this 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 team way of thinking right like Naomi Wolf feminist author of the left Steve Bannon you know conservative these two shouldn't be talking to each other, but it, but it's absolutely necessary for people like you to be talking to people like him. It's the only way we find solutions to these problems, right?
1: Well, quite. And so many of the urgent, most urgent problems we're facing right now are not left and right. They're tyranny versus freedom. So, you know, I really probably disagree with Bannon on, I'll, I'll guess, um, gay marriage, although we've never really talked about that, mm-hmm. and um, abortion rights, you know, maybe. I mean, who knows? But I'm guessing, and maybe, you know, green energy to some extent. So I agree with him on free speech, um, f- free verifiable elections, um, the rule of law, uh, due process, you know, all, all the things that are like, the wedge issues are, are are symptoms of people's policy choices, but the core issues were aligned on right you know and that's freedom versus tyranny so people and and right now that's the fight right it's not left versus right it's people who are okay with tyranny versus people from whatever backgrounds who see freedom as the first priority
0: A- absolutely i think that is the real divide now the real divide is freedom versus tyranny but it's constantly framed as left versus right because it contributes to the chaos right and totally and it
1: distracts us exactly
0: yeah 100% so uh, I I know you got to run here in a few minutes um I want to talk to you really quickly about about Donald Trump because there is a very I mean obvious effort to remove him from the American consciousness mm-hmm. and uh you know the message that that he's sending you know is is really really resonating even with the le- people who are of the left now mm-hmm. and I think uh you guys have the us has another just an amazing candidate, in, in Robert F. Kennedy Jr. If I was American, that's where my vote would be going. Uh, I want to talk about the political landscape and, and what's going on in the U.S. leading into to November. Um, I mean, do you do you think the attacks on Trump continues, and do you think that he? I don't know how to phrase this in a in a in a more uh, sunny way, but do you think he makes it? To election day, I mean, there's there's a very real effort to try to get rid of him and eradicate him.
1: Yeah, there is. He's such a, I hate to say it, but he's such a brave guy. Like anyone else would step aside at this point, um, at his age. Um, Well, I have to be nonpartisan. I did uh, post a tweet that's gotten like seven hundred thousand, whatever views. That said something like, um, "Do I have to stop hating the guy who's doing all the things I?" (laughs) Um, I mean when do I get to stop hating uh do I have to keep hating him um because he's he was talking about uh getting rid of central bank digital currency which is so important and I think digital ID I need to check but um I can't endorse I I don't think he'll be physically removed because you know it's very lucky to be married to Brian O'Shea because he explains that um assassinations really don't pay off these days, (laughs) (laughs) it's cheaper and more cost-effective to destroy someone reputationally. Um, He's not speaking personally, of course, he's just saying in the world of nefarious action on the global stage, um, assassinations make martyrs and uh, reputational damage is the way to go. So I think he'll be tied up in lawfare. I think people are gonna wanna vote anyway but I do think I'm braced force. And this is why, I mean, it sounds really hokey, but this is why Brian and I are both like, get your dehydrated food, get your water in a giant jerry can, get your candles, get your generator, you know, get print out all your titles and, and you know, life insurance policies and hard copies. Um, I'm anticipating a major cyber attack. I, you know, they could literally say there's been a nuclear attack on Texas or Illinois. And we would not know, you know, and the propaganda machine, especially the AI is so sophisticated now, that could be the message across the country. You know, there's been a nuclear attack. We don't witness nuclear attacks, you know. Um, We'd have no reason, I mean, unless we're at the location, right? We have no reason to not, you know, to be able to to verify it one way or another. Um, I don't like that all these elites are building bunkers. As I've said before, people at that level don't draft laws or build bunkers if they're not going to use them, right? They don't believe in wasted effort. They're not crazy, right? They're sociopaths, but they're not um, dumb. So yeah, I'm anticipating that there will be some emergency right in time for the election to keep everyone from voting in person so that the uh, the uh, machines can be uh, tampered with and they can be hacked remotely or um, or so many uh, mail-in ballots will be delivered at the last minute with no one overseeing it properly. That's my anticipation. Um, I certainly think it's a long shot. It's going to be a fight. What I see is a fight around the outcome of the presidential election. A yeah. very serious fight, like one that could uh, divide the country to two countries, literally.
0: The same thing is happening in Canada. Um, our premier, which is you know the parliamentary version of a governor for our American viewers, uh, is Danielle Smith, and she one of the first things she did when she was elected was she uh, eliminated the World Economic Forum uh, policy from our our healthcare system. Oh, wow. she's been. That's- oh yeah, well she's she's technically a conservative, but in, in realistically speaking, she's a libertarian. She only really finds herself in the position that she's in because of Justin Trudeau. She is a direct, her election is a direct response to Justin Trudeau. And in Canada, we're seeing a slow, painful dissolution of our Confederacy because people in the West here in Alberta and Saskatchewan, not so much British Columbia, but... um, we've had it we're done we're we're finished with this and you know with all of the climate policy and and carbon taxes i, I mean they're literally going to freeze people to death i mean oh this God. winter this winter we you know with our carbon taxes the people who are not as as fortunate as you know i myself and my family a lot of people have had to leave their leave their heat off right and you got to remember you know this last week we got down to negative 56 degrees celsius with wind chill Holy right cow. yeah so so people are going to die as a result of this, uh, of this climate. I don't alarmism. understand. It's too expensive
1: to heat their homes, or they're told. That's that right.
0: They- yeah, in in a lot of circumstances, the carbon taxes exceed the cost of the energy.
1: Oh my gosh! Right, Are they're not like heating centers where people can go. Or like, I can't believe this is
0: happening. There's there's shelters. Again, this isn't widespread, right? But you talk if 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 you're a minimum wage employee, right, and your family's just barely scraping by. A three for example, I paid my energy bill this morning. It was $313, right? It and this heavens. this is in Alberta, right? Now, if you think about being in British Columbia, where the socialist government is in power and the carbon taxes are way higher, the, the socialist government have added their own carbon tax. Imagine what a heating bill on a negative 20 degree for a negative 20 oh degree will week gosh. must be, right? And this is the this is the problem. So in Canada. Uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan are are making real strides toward independence and I actually see a future in Canada where we have
1: me, political independence or energy independence
0: both energy and political because in Canada uh, energy like resource extraction falls under the jurisdiction of the provinces not the federal right. government and so that's been the big fight between Alberta and the Trudeau liberals the Trudeau liberals believe that they have a right to just tell Alberta when they can and can't Drill for for oil or or drill a uh, uh, liquid natural gas, right? Mm-hmm. And and our argument is we can do whatever we want with it. It's in the it's in our constitution, right?
1: Wow, this is unbelievable. I don't get how a carbon tax helps. Like people are supposed to cut down on their heating because it's so expensive. That's not realistic. I can see cutting down on driving or cutting down on.
0: But you can't, but people can't cut down on their heating, their Mm -hmm. homes. Well, even driving uh, in in Alberta, like where I am, I'm in the Calgary area. You have to drive, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're so we're so we're kind of like uh, Western Canada is kind of built like Los Angeles, right? It's built wide. So if you Mm want to take transit to get anywhere, it's going to take you hours. You're never going to make it on time. So you yeah. have to drive. Right. So in Alberta, I mean, the, the, the provincial government here has done a really good job at trying to keep costs as low as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and meet the energy demand. But, you know, we've we've also our previous government uh, invested heavily in renewables, which are proving to be mm-hmm. a catastrophic failure. Right. Wow. On on the day that I just referenced it was the coldest day of the year. Our wind, our, our wind and solar completely failed. Right, we were running almost one hundred percent on liquid natural gas,
1: right? Gosh. And so, Holy so it's just God. it's just what further,
0: yeah. Well, it's just further proof that you can't get away from these energy sources. You just can't. Mm-hmm. We're not there. We don't have the technology, right? And mm-hmm. so, I see, I see a similar scenario unfolding in the United States with your Green New Deal and other policies that are coming down through. I, I call it the Biden administration, but he's he's not there. You know, there it's. The real deep state that's running the show in the US. And so I see a similar thing happening there where, you know, your your republic is breaking breaking into pieces. And, you know, states are starting to consider themselves sovereign, uh, separate of their federal government, even though they're still technically part of the United States. Wow. They have already separated. No, no, sorry. I'm talking about the United States. I'm just talking about the perspective in general, just, just well, the yeah, strides toward independence.
1: Totally. I mean, I'm thinking when you're speaking of what's happening in Texas, which is the Biden administration would not secure the border. Millions of fighting age men, if you listen to my husband and JJ Carroll, are coming in, being shipped to strategic points around the country and you know, wreaking havoc on Texas. And so Texas sent you know, is arresting people against the will of, it really calls to mind some of the great fights between the federal government and the states, like the uh, civil rights fight, which was, you know, the states were on the wrong side of history, but maybe in this case, they'll be on the right side of history. Um, That is fascinating. And what happens then, usually is that one federal government will fail or not be successful. And the the next government that's federal, or in your case, national will, um, will be more aligned with the, will of the people. I, I hope it's not a kind of breaking up Canada, breaking up US outcome, because the globalists would love that they love us to all be Lithuania, you know, and not, yeah. not superpowers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Wolf, I know you got to run. Um, can you before you go? Can you tell everybody where they can find you?
1: Thank you so much. Yes, uh, please go to dailyclout.io and subscribe and or donate. We need your help. We're rolling out to your question, um, election integrity bill, uh, which is a beautiful draft bill, um, but we it's expensive. So we need people's help with that. We're going to get it to all 50 states before the election. Um, you can go to my substack, which is called Outspoken, and you can buy uh the bodies of others my last book and facing the beast this book on amazon or on chelsea greens website um or right there on daily cloud thank you so much
0: of course yes uh, it's always an honor to talk to you and uh, uh yeah. i really recommend your your exodus series for everybody who's looking to listen oh, and yeah and I, I was hoping to touch on the pfizer documents today cuz there's so much more going on there but yeah, uh, we'll yeah. we'll save that for the next one wonderful i'd love to awesome.
1: come back take care bye
0: bye thank you